Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is October 15th, 2023. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues, in about an hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How are you, my man? Well, not as good as I could be. I could be out hunting. Yeah, I guess uh, it's that time of year, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. I'm not hunting, but I'm here talking to you. So it's uh, it's still a good day. Well, I'm I'm happy to be the the the, the second place alternative. <laughs> All right, <laughs> you're always second place in my book, Tony. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Canada. So we've got a couple housekeeping notes to take care of before we get going. Number one, congratulations to the National Party of New Zealand. Um, yes, this is Canadian common sense, not New Zealand common sense, but. Maybe, just maybe the tide is turning in our favor on the conservative side of the ledger, because the National Party of New Zealand is uh, apparently the conservative alternative to Jacinda Ardern's Labour Party. Now, she had resigned a couple months ago, knowing probably that the writing was on the wall. Her party got a got a, a pretty good smackdown in the election. It was about 39% of the vote for the National Party. 269 was the last figure for the, the Labour Party. And so... New Zealand has a proportional representation system, so the National Party needs a little bit of help in order to make a majority government to govern effectively, and apparently they have that. There's a party that's called ACT. I don't even know what that might stand for, or maybe that maybe it's just ACT. But anyway, that party apparently has enough support to propel them over the top so that they can govern with a quasi-majority and on the right side of the ledger. So, uh, Way to go, New Zealand. Let's hope that wave makes it this way. Yeah, I just wish that our leader could read the writing on the wall like their leader did, but Justin can't read. Well, he, he's too dumb. So, yeah, we already uh, yeah. determined that. <laughs> yeah, but, they're, but they're, uh, their election results sound very similar to what the polling is showing here in Canada. Yeah, that's actually, that's a good point. So, uh with any luck, though, we'll see some similar numbers here when the whenever we get an election. Oh, about that, I hope. Too. Yeah, I, I, I'm hoping the numbers are are even better because uh, we need them to be. Yeah, exactly. So uh, another housekeeping note: the RCMP announced uh, officially they are now investigating the the Greenbelt scandal. And well, they had a reference from the OPP to to take that on and. To me, that was a no-brainer. So I'm glad that they've officially announced that they're going to tie into it. Will anything come of it? Well, who knows? But uh, thank you to the RCMP and dig in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and you know, we're <clears throat> we might be conservatives on this show, but we also are Canadians first, taxpayers first. Um, we uh, we don't. I I really don't care. <laughs> that the uh, that the government in Ontario is conservative. They deserve to be investigated. Yep, exactly. And also announced by the RCMP is they are going to investigate the Arrive Can app. Now, I'm sure we all remember Arrive Can. If you wanted to travel during COVID, you had to punch in every bit of information about yourself, probably even to the size of your shoes, for that matter, into this $54 million app which I remember when we covered it on the show, we had said uh, there was a company in Toronto that made a clone to that app for, I think it was like 250,000 or it was like cheap, like way, way cheaper than 54 million. So good. Let's investigate that too. And it probably worked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because when I used that Arrive Can app, I just gave up after a while and uh because it was such a pain to use like it didn't it, it was it was the dumbest app of all time i mean that's not one of those apps where you go there's an app for that <laughs> um because it was garbage well i remember you saying when when you were coming back from the states that you had kept trying to upload all your information and it kept crashing on you so I thought, yep. yeah that's really helpful yeah, it took three days to get all the information loaded up that we were supposed to load up. So it it was uh, it was really good that we started early on that. Yeah, ridiculous. So yeah, so yeah, hopefully they get to the bottom of that. So 
All right. So I think that will, will well, one more piece of housekeeping. Sorry. And that is the trial of Chris Barber and Tamara Leach resumed this past week. And well, the judge is again, not bringing herself up another point in my books. So I was a little concerned when it said there was going to be citizens of Ottawa were going to be on the witness stand testifying. And I thought, Oh, great. This is where it starts going South. Well, they must have brought some of the dumbest witnesses they possibly could have found for, for the crown side. But uh, one of them was Zexy Lee. That's the lady who uh, claimed she was, was traumatized by the horn honking and um, it actually worked to get that injunction. And she's the one who's leading that uh, civil lawsuit. But anyway, her and among others were uh, being led by the crown to talk about how everything made them feel. And the judge said, no, 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 we're not here for that. We're here for what they saw not what they felt and even got to the point where she actually kicked one of the witnesses out of the courtroom so she could give the crown prosecutor heck and then brought the witness back and said yeah we're talking about what you saw and one of the witnesses who testified and this is hilarious Canada you're gonna love this she, he uh said oh yeah I saw you know I could smell gas and diesel fumes and illegal drugs so the judge said what kind of drugs did you smell marijuana Direct quote from the judge, last I checked, marijuana was legal. <laughs> yeah, give them yeah. a smackdown. And then one lady said, oh, and I saw people urinating where we have a garden. The judge said, there's no gardens in January and February. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I, it's shocking how, what a poor job the prosecution is doing in this case. Um, like I like I, I've said before, they must have picked the most junior or most inexperienced prosecutor to try this case because it's been an absolute uh, excuse my language shit show uh, for the entire duration of this um, of this case. I mean, it's 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 shocking how bad it is, and uh, and I mean like there's. But I mean, I guess what this does is it really just shows you how weak the prosecution's case is. And but it, it's just it blows my mind how much time, effort and money is being spent on this case. I mean, I murder trials take less time than this. Yeah, that's true. And it's uh, and you're right. I mean, it's got to be costing the, the crown, uh, you know, Chris, the crown. millions. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we'll keep you up to date as things go on. I continue to be more positive about it as things go on. So we'll uh, we'll definitely be on top of it for you. So on the show today, NDP convention, no more pipelines, no more. The island making waves, government malice, and more. Where do you want to start, sir? Oh, let's just start with uh, the island making waves. That one sounds interesting. Well, it is. It's not very often that Prince Edward Island makes the national news at all. But um, we're actually going to cover two different stories from there today because, well, they are, it's, a, it's almost a tale of two opposites. So we'll start with the guy that I like. Now, um, in case you've never heard of the community of Murray Harbor, Prince Edward Island, you can be forgiven. It is a small village of about 260 souls which, by the way, is actually about three times the population of the community where I grew up in northern Alberta. So I can identify with the with the tiny town. <laughs> it's also the third largest municipality in PEI. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, well, okay, just, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been to PEI and 250 people sounds like a pretty typical sized town there. It, <laughs> it's... <laughs> PEI is pretty rural. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> right, well, here we go. So, uh, good to know from someone who's been there. So, so a local councillor in Murray Harbour, uh, his name happens to be uh, Mr. Robertson. I won't say his first name, not that people wouldn't know who he is anyway. Has a sign up in his front yard on his property, within the property line. One of those mobile billboards where you can change the lettering uh, to display whatever messages. Usually he'll put, you know, the messages like welcome to Murray Harbor or Merry Christmas, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this time he put up on his on his own sign, 
And it's got on the top is Oye, 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 which I'm going to guess must be French for hear this or or something to that effect. That's what it would be in Spanish anyway. And uh, so it says, truth, mass grave hoax. Reconciliation, redeem Sir John A.'s integrity. And I thought, well, that's actually a message that we've kind of spread on this show. But I uh, thought, yeah, good for you, sir. Well, the community's having none of that. The mayor wants him removed from council for making such an inflammatory statement. And he yeah. has to get the province to intervene in order to remove a councillor. So he's putting those wheels in motion. And people are outraged. They're saying this is this is horrible. And, and of course, it's racist. Of course, it's denialism. And they brought a local Indian chief in to, to re-educate him. And Mr. Robertson just said, no, I'm not coming to that meeting. So he missed his re-education session. And... He's standing his ground. And I love this guy. There's a quote from him that says, it's within the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. You can have an opinion. You can express it. You can have your own thoughts. It's within the Charter. And this sign is on my own property. And I don't consider this council's business. I'm like, hell yeah, sir. It is none of their goddamn business. It's your own freedom of expression. So I like this guy. He's not backing down. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not... I, it's not the way I would have gone about it um, with the big sign in my front yard. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I mean, I, I agree with the sentiment. Um, I mean, we've talked about it on this show and until somebody digs up a body, I I'm calling it a hoax too. Um, I mean, it's, it's a hoax that creates division in this country. It pits Canadians against each other. Uh, it's uh, it's a way for, um, it's a way for uh, special interest groups to get more money um, and to get more uh, to get more things their way. Let's let's say. Yeah, further their cause. Yeah. Yeah, to further their cause. Um, I mean, we've seen the what three sites now dug up. Four. Four, four, four sites dug up and not a single one has, not one single excavation has found even a single bone of a, of a, of a human, of human remains, you know? I mean, this is, we, eh, and I mean, I, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll toot my own horn here a little bit. I mean, I, right from the get go, right from the first announcement, I said, whoa, just slow down like we need to just slow down and just take a step back from this because i mean it became an, a national and international story overnight and uh because of my personal experience with ground penetrating radar i know a little about it and uh and so i mean i i we were the first ones that I know of to, to say, hold on a second, just hold your horses. Like we need, there needs to be some excavation done to confirm any of this because there is no way. And I remember saying there is no way that anybody could say that they found graves of uh, children between the ages of three months old and, you know, whatever. There's no way they could have said that. Because I remember the original story said that they found they found uh, proof of you know children as young as three months or six months that had been buried in Kamloops and and there's you can't tell that from ground penetrating radar you can't tell if it's a human or if it's a rock you can't tell if it's a human or if it's uh, if it's a uh, if, if the soil is of a different density than the soil around it. Like that's that's what ground penetrating radar shows you. It shows you inconsistencies. It doesn't show you anything other than inconsistencies. That's it. Yeah, and um, when we were the first ones, I'm actually really proud of that. That we were the first ones to say, um, "Hold on a second, people." While the you know, the lamestream media was talking about mass graves, and then uh, very quickly, a lot of the the Indian bands who had been parroting that also started walking back the mass graves 
line, um, especially when that former chief from uh, the Kootenays had stepped back and said, no, 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 this is a community graveyard. We, we, we knew about it. And, you know, the story very slowly began to change, but, but yeah, the narrative has never, never stopped. And no. this gentleman in PEI, they're telling him that he is being, um, he's spewing hateful content, being anti-inclusion and perpetuating violence with the sign on his front yard. <laughs> perpetuating violence. 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 Oh, is this that words or violence narrative? I mean, <laughs> it's got to be because because I'm sorry, but violence is violence, not words aren't violence. Yeah, exactly. So to Mr. Robertson's credit, he has said, and I quote again, I, I won't dignify them with a response. <laughs> Good. Good for him. You know, yeah. it's the thing is, is that. I, I, you know, oh, I hate to harp on this, but I really hate that perpetuating violence statement. Because anyone who says words are violence has never experienced violence. They've they've never been punched in the face, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like there's, and that and that's a that's a big problem with society today is that nobody gets punched in the face anymore, because <laughs> because you're because everybody's arguing is done online, and you say things online that you would never say in person. Because in person, you might get punched in the face for it. <laughs> you know, it's it's like there's. Um, and, and so people say inflammatory things all the time now because there's no threat of of retaliation. And so because retaliation today is just. It, it's what you're seeing there. It's a, it's the mayor saying that he's racist and and perpetuating violence and all this kind of stuff and it's like that's you know anybody with half a brain knows that that's not true oh exactly yeah so let's move up one level of government in pei a progressive conservative mla named tyler deroche got himself in hot water with the very very simple question now he this now um background mr deroche is a volunteer firefighter and first responder that'll become important right away here he was questioning um, a, a gentleman from Medivy, who is an ambulance service, and they're nationwide, actually. They they run the ambulance authority here as well. And there was in a, in a meeting of the Health and Social Development Committee, he asked the, the, the Medivy gentleman if there was a stronger recruitment toward males or females. And he's the reason I asked that, he says, is I just noticed a lot more females in the profession. And don't get me wrong, they're they're really great at what they do. He says, but we get a lot of calls for lift assist. Uh, I says, I went to one recently where the two ladies in, in the in the bus were 105 pounds and the lift was 300 pounds, so they needed some help. And that was it. He said they were having a hard time lifting him up. Well, that was the most misogynist bit of verbal violence he possibly could ever have uttered. And Premier King said, that's not acceptable. He is absolutely wrong. And those words will, are inappropriate, will not be tolerated. And Mr. DeRoche has been removed from any standing committee in the, in the legislature. And he needs to be re-educated. Well, unlike Mr. Robertson, Mr. DeRoche immediately came out on Thursday and said, I'm sorry, my words were wrong and inappropriate and i need to educate myself properly and i love women paramedics and the paramedic association also called him misogynist and misguided the women in the ems are just as dedicated capable and resilient as their male counterparts yeah yeah they are there's no question about that all he was questioning was hey you've got two petite little ladies here who are probably in great shape but physically can't lift a dude who's 300 pounds I see nothing wrong with that statement. No, I don't either. I have been in that situation where, uh, so I'm going to, how, how long ago was it now? It was uh, 12 years ago, I believe it was. I I tore a tendon in my leg and uh, like I tore the patella tendon, which is the main tendon that, that, uh, that connects your quadricep muscle to your knee. <laughs> and, um, so I was on the ground. I could not get up. 
I couldn't get up. I was in excruciating pain because it was an 80% tear. So the, the, if it was a hundred percent tear, there wouldn't, there wouldn't have been a much pain. Right. But I still wouldn't have been able to get up, but it was an 80% tear. So the, so the, uh, the muscle was pulling on that tear all the time. It was a constant pull. So it, the, the pain was excruciating and, I and the paramedics that showed up were two women and I'm not a small guy. I'm a big guy. I'm well, over, I'm, a, I'm over six feet tall. I'm a, I'm a, uh, you know, I, my job is very physical. So I'm, I'm, you know, I've got lots of mass on me and, um, and they could not get me onto the gurney. And uh, they had to call in a, a third paramedic who uh, showed up and it was a, it was a guy and, uh, and they were able to get me up on the, on the gurney at that point. But, but the women by themselves, they could not do it. And if, and I, what I fear for is that if I was suffering, you know, cardiac arrest or something like that, I could easily have died because I couldn't have gotten into the hospital in time um, while waiting for someone else to show up to, you know, help get me into the bus. So, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so sick and tired of all this politically correct BS, especially when it comes to something like this. I mean, this is the people by saying that he's misogynist and, uh, saying that he needs re-education, um, is, I mean, this is denialism. I mean, you're denying you're denying uh, uh, biology. You're denying fact and reality that that women are not as strong as men. They just they just aren't. Even even a woman and a man of similar size, like you take two two people, a man and a woman who are both five foot eight and both one hundred and eighty pounds, the man is stronger. Period. It is extremely rare that you will ever find a woman who is of similar size and and uh, to a man who is as strong or stronger. It is so incredibly rare. I don't even know of a situation in my own personal life where that's true. Um, so you to, you can't deny you can't deny biology, and that's and that's something we're seeing in, in this grand scale right now is people denying biology, whether it's with trans people, whether it's with women are just as capable as men, or uh, you know any of this. It's like women are just as capable of men as men, or more capable in different different things, but not when it comes to physical strength. Just just isn't. No, that's right. And um, when I was talking with my wife about this, she says, "Well, I mean, there are some some girls out there, like the you know the the quote unquote farm girl, and who are very strong. And yes, there are a few of those. And uh, one friend of mine who is a paramedic is one of those big, buff, strong girls. But I mean, they're very, very rare. Like my stepdaughter is a paramedic, and she's she's tall. She's like five nine, five ten, and she is absolutely jacked. I mean, she's thin. She is muscled. She you know." works out hard and you know she busted her hump in her paramedic course she's incredibly smart and so i mean she's more than qualified to be a paramedic but you you said it well i mean if i put her beside a dude who's five foot nine and in shape and all buffed up you know looking just like her he will outlift her every single time and that's not yeah. an insult to her that's just you it, it's absolutely biology i mean that's just how we're made i mean there is there's no doubting the qualifications of the female paramedics female police officers etc but you're right you can't deny biology but apparently you can in pei and if you're an mla you will apologize to all islanders for your inappropriate misguided comments well you know and it's funny because there's you know joe rogan we talk about joe, joe rogan a lot he has he used to he used to have a joke in one uh, in one of his comedy specials, uh, where he he was making fun of the remember when uh, when Barack Obama was president and that that guy broke into the White House and was running around the White House with with a knife. So 
remember if he had a knife or not, but he broke into the he broke into the White House and he was and he got in very easily, right? And it turned out that the that the uh, uh, the the guard who was guarding the main entrance to the White House where the guy broke in was a woman, right? And strictly incapable of of stopping him. And he said, you know, women are not equal to men when it comes to physical strength. He said, but men aren't equal to men when it comes to strength. And he said, he said, like, take Shaq, example. He said, if I was a guard at the White House and it came under a Shaq attack, he said, I wouldn't be able to stop him. <laughs> right and he's so he's like the, and so the point he was making was that like even a man wouldn't be able to stop other men but a woman really couldn't right so and it's just because women just they're not physically as strong as men period and that's true and i mean you've seen like someone like Vanessa, uh, or, uh, venus williams venus williams even said in an interview where they asked her you know if she would ever contemplate playing one of the top men in a in a battle of the sexes and she said no absolutely not she said it would be six love six love six love and and uh and she said i i wouldn't even rank in the top 200 in the men's uh division and she's right and she's the greatest female tennis player of all time yeah that's true actually funny you say that remember um when we were kids, Chris Everett Lloyd was one of the top female players in the world. And yeah. I remember reading a, an article with her and she said that she practiced with, um, it was a man who was a relative of hers anyway. And he wasn't even ranked. Like he was, you know, obviously not the best men's player. And she said she consistently lost to him and he wasn't even ranked. And she was the number one female in the world at the time. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so smart for Venus to say no. Well, I think Venus, I think he, Venus even said that her training partner is a man and he's, he's ranked uh, like 250th or something like that. And she loses to him on a regular basis. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, there you and go. so it's the same thing there, right? Like, it's just, it's just true. And, and I mean, there's, and that's not, and that's not like a slight against women at all, because I mean, women's tennis is great to watch. In fact, I prefer watching uh, women's tennis because there's more rallies. Same. Yeah. Right. Like uh, men's is like smash done, <laughs> you know, like it's just it, you you don't get the rallies in men's tennis that you get in women's tennis. And that makes women's tennis more enjoyable to watch, I think. That's more exciting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of excitement, the, the NDP was in town for a for a convention this weekend. I don't even remember where they had the convention. I think it was in London, wasn't it? I uh... I don't know. Yeah, I don't I care. Can't, I can't remember now. I don't care enough to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess what, what was worth noting is the NDP was importing American-style far-left politics. And I know they always accuse the conservatives of that, but, well, the NDP had Bernie Sanders zoom in as a guest speaker. Well, that's 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 American style far left politics. I I can't believe they would do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I I can't believe how the left wing parties in this country, the liberals and the NDP, always accuse the conservatives of being you know bringing you know right wing American style politics to Canada. But it's always the left-wing parties who bring in American politicians to give guest speeches. I mean, the liberals had Hillary. I mean, and that one I've never understood because she Lewis is not feeling suicidal right now. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not. You know, Lewis did not kill himself. That's right. <laughs> But, but, but I mean, the liberals had Hillary at their last convention give a speech. The, uh, the NDP have Bernie Sanders giving a speech at theirs. Um, it's like, it's crazy. It's it's crazy. How can you guys accuse the conservatives of bringing American style 
right wing, you know, politics to this country when you guys are the ones bringing American politicians to this country. Well, and the Conservatives had a gentleman from the UK uh, speak at their convention. So uh, yeah. maybe it was that far right United Kingdom politics being brought to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the last time the the, uh, the Brits had an actual right wing politician was uh, Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you gave me a very disturbing number from the NDP convention, and that was the level of support that uh, Jagmeet Singh got in the confidence vote from the members. Yeah, I mean, it's let's let's be clear. It, it's not a it's not as disturbing as it sounds. the 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 number that was more disturbing was what he got two elect or two conferences ago, and that was ninety one percent support. And then the and then the last convention that they had, he received eighty seven percent support, and then this or this uh, uh, convention, he received eighty one percent support. So his his support numbers are dropping like consistently, um, but yeah, he still sits at eighty one percent. The most useless politician in this country. And, and yes, that includes Stephen Gilbo. Um, this he is the most useless politician in this country, and he's re still receiving eighty-one percent support. I mean, I I don't know how his party still supports him at all, considering he holds the balance of power in Ottawa. He is the only thing standing between Canadians getting to vote Trudeau out. And Trudeau remaining in power. He's the only thing standing in the way of that happening. And he continues to allow Trudeau to stay in power. And yet his party still supports him, even though he has received basically nothing in return for that support. True, and their party is still $2 million in debt from the uh, the last election. And I thought, okay, you had a $22 million loan to get through the 2021 election, and you still have $2 million of that left? I mean, uh, I don't want to sound flippant, but the Conservative Party of Canada raises that $22 million in like a year, two years maybe. So, Yeah. No, I mean, it, the, the NDP, see, and this is something we've talked about on the show before too, and that's that the NDP are always broke. You know, always broke, which sounds very much like communism. And um, <laughs> because communists, people who live in a communist country are always broke, too. Um, so, you know, it's it, it makes sense that they want communism because, you know, it's just familiarity. <laughs> um, but the NDP are always broke. And the reason they're always broke is because their supporters believe government should pay for everything. And they don't donate as much as other uh, party uh, uh, supporters because, you know, like, look at the conservatives. Anytime the conservatives ask for cash, they get more cash than they can count. And it's because conservatives believe the government should stay out of everything and that we should be responsible for ourselves. And, and individuals should be responsible for, you know, uh, taking care of other people rather than the government doing it. And so conservatives are much more, uh, you know, you know, um, they're much more uh, likely to, to donate to a political party because we, we believe in that. And, but, but, Real hard lefties like NDP supporters don't believe that they should cough up anything. That you should just take the money from other people. And so that's why the party is always in debt, can never get out of debt. And I mean, look, look, the, when was the last election? It was more than two years ago. And and they still haven't even paid off the debt from that election. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. But but the other you know hallmark of being an NDP is spending more than you have. So I mean it's it's they're going to have another election before 
they even pay off this debt and they're just gonna they're just gonna rack up more debt yep <laughs> yeah that sounds about right so um now it was funny that policy wise you said he got a couple of standing ovations from the the crowd which mm -hmm. is a surprise but it's uh with some of the MPs speaking their minds and some of the you know provincial counterparts speaking out lately it's uh it's a wonder this party has has any wheels under it at all yeah i mean what one of the things that he he received you know uh a good amount of applause for was for stating that um there's no excuse and no um justification for the brutality and that that israelis suffered at the hands of hamas and he received you know he received a good ovation for that but the crowd erupted with in cheers like twice as loud as that when he said that uh when he said that uh, the people of palestine should be free yeah well let's uh actually let's let's take that and let's segue into talking about that situation and about well the government's reaction and more so the lamestream media's reaction um should give just a bit of a warning candidate there this isn't going to be the most family friendly segment uh, of our show so if anybody who is listening has some small kids in the car you might want to either fast forward ahead about five to ten minutes or come back and listen to this at another time because there's going to be a couple topics that aren't the, aren't the necessarily family friendly so anyway when this attack started thanksgiving weekend the canadian embassy in tel aviv was closed for thanksgiving and well and under normal circumstances that's fair enough but this attack happened and the embassy instead of rushing someone back in to help take care of canadians concerns you know for canadians who are actually in israel they remain closed melanie jolie said oh no the embassy's open even though it was closed and people just got a voicemail saying call back on tuesday when we're actually here and Melanie Jolie said, no, no, they're open. And then the Ottawa and Ottawa offices were trying to handle any kind of claims that were coming from people in Israel. Wow. Way to drop the ball, guys. That's a great start to this crisis. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's, uh, I'm glad that it, on Thursday, I think the first uh, military flight came to start evacuating people from Israel but you were hearing accounts of people who were there who were just saying, like, it was mixed messages. It was chaos. We couldn't get a hold of anybody. And then by the time we could, they said, okay, well, just shelter in place. Even if you're, you know, right down at the south end of Israel where the bombs are, are, are going off. And then, okay, oh, yeah, we're going to get you, get the flights out to Athens. And then once you get to Athens, well, yeah, you're actually on your own. I mean, this is Sudan all over again. Yeah, we'll fly you out of there, but once we get you to where the next place is, you got to find your own commercial flights home. I mean, this government could not organize a snowball fight in January for crying out loud. I'm just, I'm just floored at how incompetent this government is. Actually, it's not even incompetent. You had said something on this show a few different times, like, don't, I can't remember exactly how you worded it, but you know, don't chalk up to incompetence what can be attributed to malice or something to that effect. Or what, what you can't what you can't chalk up to uh, uh, incompetence must be malice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, to me, that's what this is. I mean, these people are so dumb. They make the exact same mistakes over and over again. And it's Canadians who are suffering. So there's apparently 4,000 Canadians who have registered with uh, the embassy now that they are in Israel. And uh, it doesn't mean that all 4,000 want to be evacuated. In fact, a lot of them have said that, no, they want to stay. But, the these military planes are going to be going back and forth to Athens, well, probably several times. So it's going to take a little bit of time to get people out. And they're also flying out uh, citizens of other countries. But a G7 country who got planes into Israel to fly citizens out two days after Colombia and Argentina 
and Brazil were flying their citizens out, just kind of a black mark, you know, I mean, no, no offense to the fine folks in Latin America, because obviously they care more than Canadians do, but we couldn't get things assembled faster. Yeah. And this is like, you said, it happened in Sudan as well, but it happened with Afghanistan and where we're, and it's the same, the same government that, that is in charge all right now are the ones who are in charge with getting people out of Afghanistan during the, uh, the military uh, withdrawal and failed miserably at that as well. I mean, it, it's unbelievable how incompetent or how, yeah, yeah. Incompetent. I mean, it, it's either incompetence or they just don't care. Uh, but it, this I'm going to chalk up to incompetence. I, how how you can't figure this out after a couple of failed attempts <laughs> prior to this? How you can't figure it out? I don't know. I mean, when when this happened, the embassy should have been opened up immediately. Uh, it should not have been. Oh no, <laughs> you know they're unionized, so you know we're going to keep their holidays intact <laughs> i mean come on that's that's i honestly i think that's what it probably came down to it was that they're unionized so this is a stat yeah probably yeah it's uh... <laughs> so i mean it's which is just yeah it's it, it, it's a complete and utter shit show it is yeah and then um you know let's, let's talk about the malice part of this is the lamestream media and i was uh I listened to a couple of CBC podcasts. We read CBC news. Well, here was an email leaked from a, a CBC executive. The most ironic title, a job title that uh, someone in the CBC could possibly have. Now, this was a uh, George Achi. He is the CBC director of journalistic standards and practices and public trust. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just attaching that with CBC is funny enough, but. He sent out an email, which was leaked, telling journalists not to call Hamas terrorists and not to mention that Israel had pulled all their soldiers and settlers out of Gaza in 2005 and to emphasize mil Israel's military presence and their control of the of movement of goods and people at the border. And I thought, okay, so then I was listening to a CBC podcast and this gentleman referred to Hamas as a, quote, militant group in the Gaza Strip. And I just thought, okay, this was on Tuesday or Wednesday I heard this podcast. And I said, a militant group? Does a militant group paratroop people into a music festival that deliberately is celebrating peace and start gunning down a bunch of 20-year-olds and teenagers? Is that what a militant group does? Does a militant group hack the head off of a, of a Filipino man with a hoe, parade dead women around in the backs of trucks? Like, go fuck yourself, CBC. You guys are a bunch of savages. If you, if you can't just call a spade a spade, like it's absolutely ridiculous. You want to say, oh no, they're they're militants. They're 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 freedom fighters. Like, um, no, 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 no. They're uh, they're savages. Why do you think that no other Arab country wanted to take these people in? Like, it's uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. And the lamestream media just playing along, militant group, and. You see protests all around, even Canada, saying that you know we are we support Palestine and occupation and uh, colonialism. When the one uh, MPP for Hamilton Centre in uh, the Ontario Legislature, Sarah Jama, she had tweeted out that uh, they're fighting the occupation, and as somebody who is in a colonial country like Canada, we we should understand the struggle. And uh, thought you can go to hell too, lady. Like this is a uh, no. I don't have a dog in this fight because obviously I'm not I'm not Jewish, I'm not Arab, and it's not in Canada. But as a human, just call it for what it is. Well, I mean, if you look at the uh, the other Arab countries, uh, not one of them is accepting uh, refugees from Palestine. Not one. Not a single one. So that that's got to tell you something right um i mean the thing is is that 
these assholes um and you know pieces of dirt from from Hamas i mean they they i i i accidentally saw the video of the beheading with the uh with the hoe um cuz it was on twitter and i was just scrolling through my feed and that video was there and I, ac- I I accidentally saw it and it was horrific. I can't get it out of my head. Like oh, I should not I, I I wish I had not seen that. Um when I saw the one with the German tattoo artist, that lady was being paraded around in the back of that truck where they were spitting on her and whatnot. Yeah. And again, yeah, I mean that one wasn't nearly as horrific, but that was one I had accidentally stumbled upon as well, also on Twitter. And uh I mean, then you hear the stories like Dave Rubin has actually been really strong on this one. I mean, he's a U.S. show host and he's also Jewish. So, of course, he's got his bias. But, uh, yeah, I mean, his, some of the things that he was talking about, he says, and these pictures are readily available. And he actually shows them on his own website. And I I yeah. haven't gone to them. I just listened to his show. But, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's terrible what these people are doing. And you're right. I mean, it's uh, that's why no other Arab country wants anything to do with Hamas as far as taking the people in anyway. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if you look at, I'm, I'm, and I'm not saying Israel is innocent in all of this because they're not. Um, I mean, the, the, the illegal occupation of, of Gaza uh, ended almost 20 years ago. Like, first of all, let's get that straight. Um, they're, they haven't occupied Gaza in, I believe it's 18 years. Yeah. And yet they continue, the mainstream media continues to parrot this illegal occupation uh, BS. Yes. And, and, and here's, you know, I'm not going to defend Israel in every possible way because they, they have done some horrible things in the Gaza Strip as well with bombing uh, apartment buildings and schools and all that kind of stuff. Uh, like I believe over fifty percent of the people that have been killed in Gaza by Israeli strikes have been children. So I'm not saying that they're innocent in this. Uh, they do control the movement of goods in and out of the Gaza. Uh, they do control the power because there's only one power plant that serves the Gaza. and so they only get electricity for a few hours a day. Um, but None of that justifies what happened. None of that justifies what happened. And the CBC telling their reporters to intentionally skew the stories to implicate Israel in as as you know being at fault for what happened is absolutely disgusting i'm gonna parrot what you said and say fuck you cbc um i it's disgusting it is absolutely disgusting that you are telling your reporters to ignore facts and reality and to pump up a different alternate storyline um, is that is gaslighting in in the truest definition of gaslighting, and uh, this is one more example of why the CBC needs to go away, and why one point one billion dollars of our tax dollars need to be directed somewhere else. And I have absolutely, I, I just. I, I just have, I, I can't even put into words how I feel about that guy, the, the, the director of, of, of uh, whatever it was, the, the <laughs> of integrity or whatever. I mean, he has none, he has no integrity himself, so he can go to hell. And, and this, and the CBC is just garbage and nobody should watch it. Yeah. I mean, uh, director of, journalistic standards and public trust like huh yeah right i mean that very same cbc podcast i listened to the next day after they were uh talking about the militants 
were talking to uh, someone from Doctors Without Borders and, of course, portraying the people in Gaza as the, uh, you know, the sympathetic heroes in all this. And, you know, how the doctors say, oh, you know, they, there was an ambulance that was out front of the hospital and it got it got burned up when uh, in the bombing raids. And so, yeah, well, unfortunately, that's going to happen when Hamas puts their headquarters under a hospital. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's awful. But uh, I, I want to... I want to know why none of these people in Canada that were have been that have been uh, showing their support for for Hamas, like all of those people in Montreal and in every other major city across this country that were demonstrating after the attacks and showing their support and cheering on what happened. Why haven't their bank accounts been frozen? Why haven't they been arrested? You know, I mean, Justin Trudeau is so eager to do that to people who oppose him. But these people are doing st things that are much worse, and yet nothing's happened to them. They haven't been arrested for perpetuating hate or for, uh, or for um, uh, you know, perpetuating violence because, you know, they're actually doing that they're actually perpetuating the violence by cheering it on i mean th those by the way are crimes in canada what those with those uh supporters of palestine and hamas that we're doing in canada that is that is perpetuating hate speech and and perpetuating uh you know violence that that those are actual crimes in canada do i agree that they should be crimes in canada no i don't because i i believe in free speech and i want to know who the assholes are and these people are assholes yeah they are well they're supporting a terrorist organization hamas has been listed as a terrorist organization in canada for decades yeah and not a peep out of our prime minister of course not no of course not he's he's way too woke for that so all right, so let's move into our last topic of the day, and this is family-friendly and actually will help to, well, cheer up, bring up my spirits anyway, and that is the Bill C-69, which Jason Kenney, uh, former Alberta Premier, had called the No More Pipelines Bill. Well, it was more than just no more pipelines. It was no more transportation. It was no more energy sector, essentially. Um, it was called officially called the Impact Assessment Act, and the province of Alberta immediately challenged it to uh, the Supreme Court. Well, the Supreme Court came down, and uh, I am probably as surprised as a lot of people that the Supreme Court came down on the side of common sense, because this is a Justin Trudeau-packed Supreme Court. I think there's only maybe two or three Harper appointees left on the court. And they ruled five to two that the Impact Assessment Act is indeed unconstitutional, that the federal government did not have the right to intrude upon provincial areas of responsibility for Section 92. And we've gone on about that a lot on this show. And I was I was floored with delight that that means that Bill C-69 goes back to the drawing board. And uh, here's the funniest part of it. Let's, let's, let's start with that. Then we can talk about Danielle Smith and her reactions. But Stephen Gilbo and Jonathan Wilkinson, our environment minister and our uh, natural resources minister, respectively, mm -hmm. had said that this whole idea about uh, the the court striking down Bill C-69 was Stephen Harper's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. 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 Stephen Harper was such a powerful prime minister. He's still making problems for the current one. Eight years later. Yep. Yep. It was Stephen Harper's fault that this bill failed because Stephen Harper failed to create uh, investment certainty for the uh, energy sector. And I thought, um, <laughs> you, you realize that Stephen Harper was actually pro-energy and wanted canada to be an energy superpower right um well and 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 interestingly enough he achieved that like canada was uh a a net exporter of of energy under under harper and now we're not we're a net importer but uh but yeah <laughs> yeah 
I, you know, just the fact that Stephen Harper is still causing problems for for uh, for the current government eight years after not being in office just proves that maybe Stephen Harper should have stayed prime minister because he's that powerful. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm sure that they're trying to make the connection between Stephen Harper and Pierre Polyev, but um you guys got to lay off harper he's a he's long gone <laughs> yeah 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 and despite our wishes he has no interest in returning by the way yeah exactly and, and i don't blame him but i mean yeah i'd i'd love to have him back i'd vote for him tomorrow so yeah so now what they did rule was it wasn't the entire impact assessment act that was unconstitutional um just most of it they said the federal government can still apply the impact assessment act to federal projects that are on federal land or to Canadian projects outside of Canada. So I guess if there's a Canadian government project going on in, say, Chile, they can still do their gender gender assessment surveys before the beforehand to make certain there's enough Chilean women working in whatever mine it is they're choosing to build. But um, yep, thank oh, fantastic. you. Fantastic. BS and not apply it in Canada. <laughs> oh, great. Well, I, I'm sure the Chileans will be happy to hear that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. And uh, of course, Danielle Smith was quite pleased because, well, it was her province that began this challenge under Jason Kenney and continued under her. And she said, well, this is kind of what we were saying the whole time. So, yeah, good vindication for Alberta. And she even had said that if the government, federal government wants to continue this fight, she's quite happy to make a reference under the Alberta Sovereignty Act to continue. And I believe that her words were like, I watched a news conference yesterday that was from a couple of days ago. And she had basically said that, yeah, if the federal government wants to keep this up, that they can take us to court and they can spend two years fighting and we'll just get to work. And I thought that is music to my ears. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of Danielle Smith, you sent me a picture of a, of the cover of McLean's magazine. And it was not very kind. Oh, I, I thought being McLean's, it was completely unbiased. And we put this up on her our Facebook page as well. It was a picture of Danielle Smith, uh, a headshot, and she was smiling. And uh, the caption on the cover itself had said, uh, had talked about Danielle Smith calling her a conspiracy theorist, visionary, or folksy kook. And which Danielle Smith do uh, should Albertans expect? And so then I got a hold of the article. And it is even, you know, more straight down the middle, completely plays it in an unbiased fashion, talks about how uh, this reporter who went out with some campaign volunteers in on a warm April Saturday and how people how people who were PC supporters said they were were going to have to switch to the to the NDP because of Smith and how many Albertans, quote, held their noses and gave Smith the smallest conservative majority in, in decades. And I thought, well, that's, that's, that's pretty unbiased, sir. Thank you so much for that. And um, <laughs> called her possibly the most polarizing politician in Alberta, possibly all of Canada. And I thought, well, that's, that also was news to me. So I, I, I had to read more. <laughs> in in a country with Justin Trudeau, she's the most polarizing. <laughs> Are you Let's kidding? Put it that way. <laughs> There's at least eleven cabinet ministers that are more polarizing than Danielle Smith. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh my God, wow! Even with Scott Moe and and his uh, and his his thing going on in Saskatchewan right now, she's the most polarizing. Yeah. Or or <laughs> or uh, or Doug Doug Ford and, and the Greenbelt controversy, but yet Daniel Smith is the most polarizing. Yeah, go yeah. to hell, McLean's. Like, oh God, I'm so sick of this BS where they just. If they're conservative, they're the most polarizing in the country. They're the most, you know, you know, just the things that they called her on the cover were were unreal, like like a folksy kook and 
uh, conspiracy theorist and and all of this. And it's like, <clears throat> I don't know. The last time I checked, it was like 29 to nothing for conspiracy theorists. So, um, <laughs> but, but let's, but come on. Like, why is McLean's saying stuff like that? I mean, it's, there's, there's obviously a, uh, a concerted effort to try and undermine her, um, which is not helping because I mean, I, I think every, province wishes they had a, pre a premier like her that fought for their country for their province as hard as she does um you might not agree politics but you cannot deny that she doesn't fight for her province harder and stronger than than any other premier in this country ah yes but what do we say on this show but wait there's more. there's more <laughs> yep he's the reporter continues on and talks about her truly out there ideas such as private health care and denying mass graves at residential schools. Oh, I think we just batted that one down a couple segments ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, her, her, you know, but that's, that's been something in Alberta for a long time is that it, most, most uh, premiers in Alberta have supported uh, some private delivery of health care. I mean, I mean, let's be real. I mean, every province supports some private delivery of healthcare because every province has private delivery of some healthcare. And in fact, in Canada, 80% of healthcare is delivered privately because the only publicly delivered services in this country are hospitals. Every other method of delivering healthcare in this country is private doctor clinics. Those are all private businesses. Yeah, exactly. And the, one one more point this article made talked about and to anybody who, who our listeners are in Alberta you're going to really love this but uh, he talked about how the the leadership of the UCP was handed to Danielle Smith by the quote far right insurgent group Take Back Alberta. <laughs> oh my God! And uh, for those listeners outside of Alberta or Western Canada. Take Back Alberta is a group that was led by um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, Dave something or another. He's a, he was just was a, a Wild Rose Party member, and Take Back Alberta was essentially a bunch of Wild Rose members who wanted to maintain some of the populist roots of Wild Rose. And when you listen to the gentleman speak from Take Back Alberta, he just wants people to get out and vote. That's that's really kind of the their their main shtick is they just want people to get out inform themselves and vote but that makes them insurgent far right according to mclean's wow <laughs> unreal i mean i guess i'm an insurgent far right then too because you know i kind of want those things too i also want you know the federal conservatives to uh re you know I wanted them to retain some of the policies from the reform party <laughs> and they didn't retain any of them. Like there isn't a single reform party policy left in the federal conservative party. So I guess that makes me a far right insurgent because I, I want them to, re, you know, to go back and re-examine some of those reform party policies and, in, and adopt them like having a flat income tax uh across the country every every single person pays the same rate that's what i want i want a triple e senate you know i mean these are things that i want but i guess that makes me you know a far right insurgent yeah well and i guess i uh i i gotta fess up i also am a far right insurgent because i like the idea of a triple e senate i love the idea of the flat tax I love free votes on everything but confidence motions. And yeah, I uh, I like recall. I know that the recall we have in BC, for example, is flawed, but yeah. I, I like the idea and I think it's something that needs to be explored. And um, yeah, so I'm definitely a, a far right insurgent and I, uh, I got to say, I'm actually kind of proud. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I love how they use terminology that's associated with terrorists. Um, oh, no, you mean uh, militant groups. Oh, militant groups. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, militant groups. They use terminology associated with 
militant groups that uh, that uh, uh, to describe you know people who are interested in politics. Yeah. <laughs> that's really what it boils down to, isn't it? <laughs> it's that's that's kind of scary that that's how they view uh, people with different opinions. Yeah, yeah, it is pathetic, and I guess I uh, I'm glad that I canceled my subscription to McLean's years ago because they're still spewing the same garbage I see. And in fact, it seems like it's getting worse. So, Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I never ever saw McLean's have a picture of Preston Manning on the cover and calling him, you know, you know, a folksy kook. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, I mean, it's funny because like, uh, it's like the, the the media in this country has become so biased and so they just they, they've become an the, the PR wing of the Liberal Party or the NDP party and it's it's uh it's quite disgusting I mean it's and and, and also very disheartening because you know there was a time when I thought that you could at least somewhat trust what the media was telling you um but you can't trust them at all anymore like at all like anything that i hear from the media i don't make an opinion on i don't form an opinion on until i've researched it myself and um i mean it's crazy it's crazy that we have to do that but it's you got to look through look at it through the lens of of 1984 and and you got to question everything yeah, exactly. And I think that's actually a good spot to wrap the show up. So um, I see we've got a, a bit of a bump in our listenership the last few weeks. Uh, so I see we've got a few more people following the Facebook page. So I want to thank all anybody who's a new listener or a recent listener, new listener to the show. Uh, welcome aboard. And until next time, it is Tony, the far right insurgent in Saskatchewan. <laughs> And Lewis out here in BC, where anything right of, you know, Chairman Mao is considered a far-right insurgent. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Canada, and good night. Good night.